This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT8. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with groups today from The Jimmy Dore Show, Citizen Radio, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The Tom Hartman Program, The Media Matters Minute, and Jim Hightower. And a note that if college were free, then it would have benefited me personally and basically everyone else in the country, so advocating for it could really be seen as conflict of interest just full disclosure so there's been a uh, a real bs reform movement in education and what it is is to apply corporate ideas to education meaning uh incentives financial incentives to get teachers so if their test scores so it's all this whole standardized testing which a doesn't work right it doesn't really test uh how good a teacher is uh the problems with schools are are you know failing schools are in failing communities and succeeding schools are in succeeding communities right so you don't go to a rich neighborhood and they have a failing school it doesn't happen okay Tests so, always failed with me as well me too so now they have all these corporate guys like Arnie Duncan President Barack Obama's on board for it too ever since waiting for Superman the idea is we've it, the, 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 what's wrong with education is bad teachers and what I always tell people you fire every bad teacher there is there is no room full of great teachers waiting to take those jobs they're not because the people who graduate at the top of their class all go to Wall Street because that's what we value in this country. And right. so, uh, and, and, and teachers are doing uh, miracles every day in the classroom. They're doing great things every day. And teachers aren't motivated by money. That's a vocation. They're, no, they're motivated by helping people and educating. It's what they love to do. So, uh, so now that what, what they've done is the, Wall Street has come in, these corporate guys, and they say, no, you got to have uh, teachers paid tied to their performance, even though it's not their performance, right? It's the 40 little maniacs sitting in front of them who wake up at the crack of dawn every day, their parents fill them with a bowl full of sugar, stick them with a fistful of Ritalin, spin them around 10 times, and send them to school. Hey, teach my kid! Here, teach my kid how to, to teach my kid math. You can't even teach your kid to shut the f*** up on an airplane. <laughs> But you want a teacher to take your little maniac and teach him math. So what they've been doing now is stressing standardized tests over any other metric and financially incentivizing teacher performance. What could possibly go wrong with that? And next, we return here at home to the scandal rocking American schools tonight. Dozens of educators in Atlanta stand accused of fixing student test scores and doing it so they could reap the government bonus money. Tonight is Wow. Huh. So that's how. That's how it could screw things up, because then the teacher's jobs and to get more money to your school, it's based on your test scores, your standardized test scores. And if your test scores go up, get this, if your test scores go up, that means the government gives your school more money and your teachers get a raise and everybody gets more money. But if your test scores go down, meaning if your school is in crisis, they take money away from your school. So what's been happening is that, and right now, it's not just in Atlanta. We're going to talk about Atlanta, but it's been happening in Houston, Washington, D.C., where Michelle Rhee, she made her f famous for firing all those people and trying to uh, get teachers pay tied to their performance. Well, she left after two years under a cheating scandal because what happens when you tie people's pay to, their perfor to the test scores is they cheat on the test. So that's, that's how what you get Goldman Sachs. That's exactly. I mean, that's. That's it's yes, you're you're I mean you're dead on.
talk about this on Citizen Radio, um, but it, I think there are aspects of the story that we should explore. Um, there's been a huge, huge um, school cheating scandal uh, in Atlanta, and it involves Beverly Hall, who was tapped as the National Superintendent of the Year in 2009. She was hailed for driving up standardized test scores in the Atlantic public schools and turning the system into a model of urban school reform. The picture um, with her and her medal has continuously made me sad every time I see it. Yeah, so the Washington Post writes, the scores were illus- illusory, and, the, and Hall was just indicted under a law used against mafia leaders charged with leading a corrupt organization in which student standardized test scores were used to reward or punish teachers. So I wanted to talk about the story because obviously, you know, there appears to be a ton of evidence against Hall and many of the teachers. Yeah. They were like whistleblowers. And And so I, I by no means want to excuse cheating. Cheating is bad. But what I want to talk about is why, this superintendent and these teachers felt the need to cheat. And then I also want to talk about the response to it. Yes. Um, when you have a system that explicitly says you will not get funding for your school and your children unless you get the scores to this level, that does nothing but incentivize teachers to take care of their kids in a really fucked up way, by which could lead to them thinking, Look, it's not the worst thing if we tweak the numbers a bit so we can get the money. Yeah, now, now we, should, we should also say I think they also had some financial incentives. Yes, that's another thing. But that's still that fucked up system where it's like if you're giving like cash rewards. Well, especially when with the way teachers get paid. Exactly. So d- I'm not trying to excuse their behavior. What they did is absolutely wrong. Cheating is always bad. Um, and it's not good for the kids because then the kids go to college and they're underprepared. They don't do well in college. They have to take like remedial classes in college so it's not good for anybody but we have this really fucked up teach the test system in this country that produces shit like this and i i tell you what these people got caught this shit happens everywhere i guarantee it they just got caught because there were whistleblowers i'm glad there were whistleblowers but that's why they got caught now i also want to talk about uh the reaction because she could get like 40 years in jail. I think it was over 40 years. So Um, before we talk about the reaction, just let me add something to, you know, uh, when it comes to teaching to the test. Even if you're not cheating, even if you find way, best case scenario with teach to the test, you fucking hustle, you work your ass off, the kids work their ass off. You get a, uh, you get the right combination of a motivated group of kids with a motivated school board you're somehow getting the, the resources you need. You're not underfunded. The kids ace the test. When you're teaching the test, I mean, that's basic memorization. Yes. I could fake learning uh, a foreign language if you teach me the right words. Um, you know, I could pretend to know math if you know the answers to the test and you tell me, you know, memorize X yeah. plus X it's equals just whatever. Re- it's regurgitation. That's why a lot of schools have tried to uh, reform teach the test by doing stuff like um, having more essays. Yeah, well, because that's the thing is if you're if you're just studying for multiple choice, then you go to college, you don't know how to problem solve, no. which is really important. You don't know how to fucking write. Yep. Um, 
but you memorize some bullshit that you're never going to need. Right. Um, and and, and to- that you forget instantly because once you regurgitate it, if it's not linked to any other kind of concept, why do you, your brain's like, I don't need to remember that anymore. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point because when I write about something, I actually absorb it. Because you're like, you're creating thoughts in your mind and it's like connecting different concepts. And yeah, when you have to express yourself through an essay, you're much more likely to remember the concepts than if it's like, uh, you know, fill in B or C, you know? Right. And so... A lot of liberals have, like, love this school reform talk. They love Michelle Rhee. They go and see the stupid Maggie Gyllenhaal movie. And they really think, you know, these are the the innovators of today. When in reality, it's like, if you didn't give them these absurd quotas, if you actually gave them the fucking money they needed, if you actually incentivized the teachers by giving them a living fucking wage so they well, don't need to get a thing. summer job. Yeah, because even people who were like, yeah, but are you saying there are no bad teachers? No, no one is saying that. But what happens is when you have this stupid teach the test crap that doesn't even let teachers be teachers and then you're not going to pay them living wages – who is you either have highly motivated and you know bless them that they still want to do this really good teachers who are like you know what i'm fine not making a living wage i'm fine having to teach the test because i just want to help these kids but then you're attracting some people who like perhaps aren't the best teachers in the world because it's like look if you're not gonna if wall street pays that much better than public teachers you have like a talent vacuum you know right Right. and you know so so now going back to what Ali was saying before, 40 fucking years, I mean, these CEOs that corrupted the economy or that, that destroyed the economy yeah. got nothing. And it's not a coincidence that it's a woman of color who is now looking. I, I don't think it is. You know, the fact that the Justice Department did not pursue those ki- those level of charges against any person on Wall Street. Right. But this woman, and again, I, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some kind of punishment. I think 40 years in prison's a little harsh. Like, Jesus. Like, um, that's something you, like, fire someone for? Like, yeah. Not, like, treat them like a goddamn gangster. Well, they're, they're gangster. definitely, like, look, this was, like, a corruption ring. There should be, like, you know, there should be some kind of punishment, but... 40 years in jail? Like, come on. I mean, you know, I know they were minors, but for example, the kids that drug around a girl and raped her in Steubenville have a year. Yeah, but for a comparison. Um, and again, that is not saying, like, excusing anything, not saying no, that it wasn't because, wrong. But here's the thing, like, how different... This sounds like I'm excusing it, but just, like, bear with me. When it comes to college preparation how different is cheating and teaching to the test they're 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 not really learning that much more with teaching to the test than they are with cheating well okay so this is an interesting place to take it but say you have these privileged white kids in a very wealthy school that can afford to take the sat classes tutors tutors all of that stuff and that gives them a leg up right so they perform better on the SAT classes. Then you have kids in the Atlantic public schools who maybe they don't all have the access that the privileged white kids do. And then the teachers <laughs> cheat yeah. for them. Um, ethically, obviously, these are two very different things. Right. But when you have such an a unlevel playing field... I think the inevitability is that you have this kind of corruption. Yeah, and what I mean, the, you know, Chris Hayes in his new show, which is great, and it's on primetime at 8 o'clock, and you guys should check it out on MSNBC. Um, 
that sounds like we're shilling for MSNBC. Don't watch anything else on MSNBC. Nope. Uh, <laughs> you can watch us when we're on Melissa. Melissa's been kicking ass, actually. Um, yeah. But uh, the, I mean, it's just been, it was wonderful where they had a panel of color um, on to talk about this issue, but also played a clip from The Wire <laughs> where he was talking about when he was a cop. Juking the stats. Juking the stats. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Such an amazing moment because... Um, so for anyone who hasn't seen The Wire, this was a, a cop who became a public school teacher. Right. And they he sort of used as a device to connect the two worlds, you know, police corruption and institutional education corruption. And it's a great moment where he, you know, he has gone through this where they underreport rapes and drug arrests to juke the stats so it looks like crime is dropping. And the NYPD does this all the time. Um and she's talking about, you know, they teach the test and they, they try to bump the numbers up. And he says, oh, juking the stats. And yeah. she goes, what? And he goes, oh, we did this uh, when I was on the force. And she says that great line, you know, wherever you go, there you are, um, which I mean, just is brilliant. And what I'm trying to say is you should all watch The Wire. You guys, I want to watch it all again. I want to watch <laughs> it all again. Mick Nolte. Squarespace.com is a platform used to build professional-looking websites so easily that anyone can do it. They're right up my alley because, quite honestly, I hate building and maintaining websites, but it's something I have to do anyways. Right now, I don't have a Squarespace website, but I wish I did because I'm constantly fighting with issues and defending against hacks by doing a bunch of additional work to maintain the security of the site. Whereas with Squarespace, you don't have to worry about any of that. You just easily create your site using any of the templates they have built by their award-winning designers, and then get on with your life. They even have built-in payment processing, so if you want to set up shop, you can be ready to sell your first item in just a few minutes. Then, if there ever is a problem, they have people on staff waiting to help you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can set yourself up with a free trial to check it out, and they won't even ask you for a credit card first. Check it out, see how you like it, and then when you do sign up, you can use a special offer code LEFT8, that's L-E-F-T and the number 8, and get 10% off their service, which, frankly, is already pretty dirt cheap for what you're getting. So again, the offer code is LEFT8, and get 10% off when you create your own space at squarespace.com. I've teased most of the story anyways, and during the course of um, back in September when I filled in for Hayes on Up, we had uh, the, uh, we did quite a bit on the Chicago teacher strike that was happening, I think at that time, if I remember correctly, this is back in September, uh, and the implications also for, for poverty and education. Um, Part of the the teacher strike was an attempt to uh, force the hand of the uh, Chicago the um, uh, Chicago School Committee and the mayor uh, essentially from not uh, force the hand and, and stop them from closing fifty schools in Chicago that of course serve. Uh, poor kids. And uh, Dave Zirin has a great piece up. But uh, Wednesday afternoon, the Chicago Board of Education voted to close 50 reportedly underutilized schools 
49 elementary schools and one public high school in the largest round of school closures ever to occur in a single American city. The uh, Chicago Teachers Union was protesting for three days leading up to uh, Wednesday's uh, decision. Opponents of the closures say that they would put children at risk by uprooting them from their learning environments and in some cases may require that they cross gang lines in order to get to their new schools. Supposedly this was done because of budget constraints that Chicago is undergoing. Dave Zirin points out that the city will be handing over more than $100 million, uh, some reports up to $173 million, to DePaul University to build a new basketball arena. It is part of a mammoth redevelopment project on South Lakeshore Drive. And if I'm not mistaken, and i got to double-check on this, because this is just from my memory when we were talking about this issue in September, Penny Pritzker, heavily involved in that mammoth uh, convention center. Dave Zirin, the uh, guy who writes about sports and politics for the nation, points out, that this is a nondescript basketball team that has gone 47 and 111 over the past five years. It's also miles away from DePaul's campuses. He says, the reason why he points this out is because it gives you a sense of just how much the uh, Chicago community is crying out for the city to spend literally tens over $100 million to build a stadium for this. I think in some respects it's also indicative of whether or not people are actually going to show up. School closures are taking place entirely in communities of color while the city's elite feed with crazed abandon at an increasingly sapped trough. It must be pointed out that this deal, even by the standards of shady stadium deals, which uh, Zyron has written quite a bit about, has people scratching their heads, building an arena for a third-tier college basketball program as the heart of a new convention center? Siren uh, spoke to uh, Neil DeMoss, author, co-author of the Bible on Stadium Boondoggles, Field of Schemes. And he said, I've seen dumber th uh, things than a mayor offering to spend $173 million in tax money on a building for a private college that ha already has its pick of several arenas to play in, but not much dumber. There is some, some speculation in Chicago that this money to build ostensibly the stadium there is really a Trojan horse to get gambling, a gambling casino into this convention center. Um, I haven't read much on that. That is, uh, Zyron presents it as one of the hot rumors, but um, it really is stunning. And it's indicative of what we're seeing. You know, remember, this guy was the chief of staff for the Obama administration. The first chief of staff. He headed the transition team. Uh, this is what we're seeing in the, you know, in at least a large swath of the Democratic Party. So-called liberals. The unions are
rising, taking to the streets. The workers are united, so the mayors got beef. Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda, neoliberal offender. Of course you offend us. This ain't about money, that's far from the truth. They want better work conditions to teach the youth. Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name. The president, the mayor, all want political gain. They'd rather put the kids in jail, shackle them with chains, and provide them education that challenges the brain. Top-down education, Chicago the birthplace. Now it's spreading nationwide all over the place. They don't teach us how to think, they teach us how to test. They teach us how to work to put money in their checks. The CEOs need to get up out the classroom before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun. Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and director Katie Klebuzik encourage involvement over apathy by highlighting people and organizations that are doing good for their communities and the world. Today's campaign, Alec in Education. There is a systematic, coordinated effort sweeping the country to privatize our education system and turn the next generation into a money-making scheme. News Corp CEO and Fox News owner Rupert Murdoch has called public education, quote, a $500 billion sector in the U.S. alone that is waiting desperately to be transformed. It will surprise few of you to hear that the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, is spearheading this effort by backing the public relations campaign as well as providing model legislation to the politicians it purchases. According to the Center for Media and Democracy's PR Watch, 139 ALEC education bills and state budget provisions were introduced in the first half of 2013 alone to promote their private, for-profit model. Chicago has been ground zero for this fight. The Chicago Teachers Union and its allies stood up to Mayor Rahm Emanuel, striking, marching, and educating communities across the city. Still, Emanuel and the unelected corporate school board are going ahead with the plan to close more than four dozen schools in low-income, minority-majority neighborhoods. It is, perhaps, fitting that the ALEC 40th Anniversary Conference is descending upon Chicago this week. The CTU and other groups are rolling out the unwelcome mat by gathering this This Thursday, August 8th, at noon outside the Palmer House, Chicago, at 17 East Monroe. Join them and make yourself heard. If you can't be there, follow the Best of the Left Twitter feed for real-time updates and spread the word to your networks that handing over the education of our country's most valuable resource, its citizens, will not happen without a fight. Links to today's campaign will be in the show notes and all the usual places. You can visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for this and other activism opportunities and to share actions for possible use on the show. Okay, so uh, this week's Oh My God, I'm going to go right to Glenn Beck. You know, he's got, thank God the guy never goes away. Okay, so here we go. And uh, let's just listen to what he's talking about college. I said to my wife um, uh, the other night, I'm, they're not, my kids are going to go to college. They're just not going to go to college. They won't. <laughs> That's the spirit. There you go. <laughs> he knows that they're dumb. Yeah. You know, my parents, when I was a child, my parents were afraid that I wasn't getting enough critical thinking instruction in school, so they did a full immersion home course in hypercritical thinking. 
<laughs> Can you believe this guy, though? I'm sorry. Here, let's listen to a little bit more. They will, we will find somebody that they can intern for. They'll have to do their own thing. I am not sending another child to college. I won't do it. <laughs> Colleges Frank. say thank you. <laughs> Frank, you know, it's... Not, uh, even, not even one kid in his family will go to college like John Boy on the Walton? Not, not even. He's against... You know, got to keep him... This is great. It's 2013. First it was Rick Santorum and didn't like college, and now it's uh, Glenn yeah. Beck. College, it's bad. Education is bad. Ignorance, good. Good. <laughs> well, They're the being indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give them my money. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, look, I know this. Everybody would say that this is going to enslave your child, etc., etc. But you know what? <laughs> I would rather have, I would rather be a mechanic. So would than, we. Uh, and a bad mechanic working at a gas station, you know, down the street that nobody goes to. I'd rather be a mechanic than in the system that is coming. Yeah, but and you, you are going Glenn, to be. You're, you're, go ahead, Frank. You know what? You know what, Glenn. Uh, your kids are going to want to have good jobs and get laid. So <laughs> I think you should let them go to college. Yeah, maybe let them go to college, but they'll have all his money. Uh, so he does. He's he's living proof. You don't have to go to college to make. That's what this is. This is a guy who doesn't know what college is. It's really you know, a compelling argument that yeah. he wants to become a mechanic, a really bad mechanic. I'd rather be a bad mechanic and have a miserable life than go to college. Well, study after <laughs> wow. study shows that the better educated people are, the more likely they are to vote liberal. Mm -hmm. Yes, is that it? So the idea here is to simply inundate his listenership with the idea that college itself is bad. It's like the, the ongoing uh, Catholic uh, program of eugenics, whereby they pull the most intelligent out of their community and make them celibate priests uh -huh. and ask the people who can't handle the studying Latin to reproduce as much as possible. The goal is to keep people stupid so they'll continue to vote his people in. Oh, that's so different from what all the religion I've ever been around in my whole life. That's so different. Your kids are going to be in an absolute system, and I know what that means. I really, truly believe this is really a really scary thing. But um, he's thinking. He's thinking. He's scared. He's scared. Here it comes. Is he paid to think? Here it comes. Here it comes. Start looking for. Uh, Here it comes. He's thinking. Gold? Just be aware. Just be aware. <laughs> Don't that, learn, uh, but that's be aware. the best he has. There Just are many ways to mark people. There's just many ways to tag them and just be aware and be very Vigilant? careful. Vigilant? Very maybe? careful. Okay, that was that's it. That's all he that's So it. we're being warned about learning. Yes, you gotta be careful. Be aware. Learning's bad. Uh, college is bad. Uh, being a mechanic, while not a, according to him, not a fulfilling life, mm -hmm. uh, better than going to college and having to being live a life. A lousy mechanic is better and, than than going to college. And I'm glad he's teaching self reliance to his kids. Yeah, he's basically saying they're going to live off of him for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm sure that if he like doesn't motivate them to learn and go to college and just lets them have money. 
Like, that never results in rich kids becoming drug addicts ever. No, no, I think. I like that whole thing about there are many ways to mark people, to tag people, as though they're going to, you know, put the little homing device in everybody's ear for in college and then release them back into the wild and always know where they are. <laughs> I just like that a, a miserable life working at a place at a job that you're not fulfilled by and doing it poorly is better than being educated. The worst thing you can ever have is knowledge and education. Well, I well, think... You can understand, you can understand that coming from... From a guy who was considered too crazy for Fox. Yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interest rate on federal loans uh, for students has doubled. It went from 3.4 to 6.8 percent. And part of the reason why that happened is because of congressional inaction. Democrats and Republicans couldn't come to an agreement as to what to do about the interest rates. And Republicans were pushing for a market-based interest rate, which means that the interest rate can change. Uh, it's not a fixed interest rate, and Democrats did not sign on to that. Now, Joan Walsh did a great job covering this for Salon, but I actually think that her piece was strong because of the fact that she says that we're being completely misguided when we're focusing on something like interest rates. What we should really focus on is how education used to be very, very accessible and very affordable in this country. And then Republicans came in and screwed it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, So I have a specific example about Reagan, but before I get to all of that, I want to give you some really interesting general statistics on student loan debt. So the average burden for uh, graduates right now is about $28,000 in debt. However, that does not include the credit card debt that they also uh, have to charge because of the fact that they're living on a campus or whatever. So if you take credit card debt into consideration as well, they have about $35,000 in debt by the time they graduate college, and that's the average. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, California is one of at least 10 states that now spends more on prison than on education, which means a lot of money that used to go to, to public education, and that includes grade school and college, is now being taken away. But to be fair, Anna, we've got to imprison all those really dangerous uh, pot smokers. True. Yeah, we've got to True. waste our, our money on that instead of giving our kids a decent education and a decent future. That's a brilliant move by California and many other states. More stats. Uh, Two-thirds of college graduates leave with some debt. 37 million Americans are repaying a student loan right now. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to paying off a bachelor's degree, it takes an average about 19 years to pay it off. The average cost is about $117,000. The average monthly payment is $499. And of the $1 trillion in student debt, 60% is owed by people over the age of 30. So it's not just for students, it haunts you the rest of your life. 19 years, indentured servitude used to be seven years. 19 years on average, $117,000. This is amazing. Look, so, the reason I care deeply about this, we're gonna get Reagan and all that, is because my dad got a free education in Turkey. If he hadn't, I'm an olive farmer right now. I say it often because it's the most important thing is that if you have an opportunity and you've done well, it's your responsibility as a decent human being to build a bridge so that more people can come to opportunity, right?
But these guys, they're not about that. And you're going to see with Reagan and the rest of the Republicans, their idea is burn the bridge down after you. So how, how would my dad, an olive farmer, who had nothing in southeastern Anatolian Turkey, be able to afford $117,000? If it happened today, you know, obviously that was Turkey, but it happened in the U.S., we'd be dead. We wouldn't be able to make it. He never would have gotten that education. I wouldn't be here. Also, I mean, what do parents do at this point? I mean, you cannot save, especially with, you know, the, the wages that have been stagnant for so long. You cannot possibly save enough money to send one kid to college, let alone two. I mean, it's becoming uh, like a, a, a like 1% privilege in order to even have a family at this point. It's so expensive. Yeah. No, it's okay. Mitt Romney would say, just go get it from your parents. Right. Right. God, it, it just a quick side note on all of this. I just feel so lucky because I was the last graduating class that had the opportunity to go to a CSU for an affordable tuition, okay? People in my age group that didn't get a head start like I did, because I took college classes when I was in high school, so I got a massive head start. I graduated college two years early. People in my age group right now are saddled with that debt, and they can't give back to the economy because they can't buy a car, they can't afford it, they have these loans that they have to pay off, and they can't buy a house. In fact, I have a figure for you guys. Student debt reduces average uh, aggregate car purchasing by $6.4 billion a year, and that's just the car industry. That's not even including the housing market. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Yeah, and good luck trying to get a house with that giant debt you already have. Uh, okay, so hit me with Ray. All right, so... The UC system used to be the best system in the country in terms of higher education. UC Berkeley was one of the top schools in the country. And back in 1964, uh, there was a free speech movement on the UC Berkeley campus. Back in the day, you weren't allowed to uh, protest or talk about anything on campus that was unrelated to the school. So if you had like some political cause, you couldn't protest about it on campus. Well, the students decided, you know what, we want to be politically active, we want to protest. So they did this massive protest that got a lot of attention. In comes Ronald Reagan, and at that time he wanted to be governor of California. And he thought, you know what, I can take advantage of this opportunity and appeal to parents. So what he did is he fear-mongered. He basically uh, campaigned and said, look at what's happening to our public institutions. Okay, They're turning into propaganda. Liberals are taking over. This is a complete and utter disaster. It's going to destroy our society. So that he ran on that platform, and he won by a landslide. As soon as he was elected, all of a sudden he took the UC system, which was free, no fees, no tuition, and he changed it into something that would charge fees. And then later they started charging tuition in about the mid-1980s, okay? So I want to give you guys some numbers on that. So the UC system, in terms of fees, charged about $84 a year in 1956. Then in 1971, after Reagan, $600 a year. 2005, $8,129 a year. 2013, $12,692 a year. Now look, we know that through time you have inflation, etc. But inflation is one thing. From $56 or $84 to $12,692 is totally different. $84, yeah, of course, everybody can, you know, pay that. Even in 1956. You put $12,692 a year on people... That's a hell of a burden, man. It was supposed to be a free education. Yep. It was supposed to be our way out. It was supposed to be a bridge. It was supposed to be opportunity. Reagan killed it. That's why the Republicans love him. Way to burn that bridge down after you. Way to go, Gipper.
Yeah, and, and just to clarify, uh, that $12,000 is just for fees and tuition. It does not include university housing and costs of books and supplies and all of that. So when you're talking about the total cost of an education in California, if you're going to a UC, easily uh, you, you'll have to pay about $20,000. Hi everyone, today in lieu of asking you to support this show, I want to ask you to support my fundraising effort for this year's Climate Ride. This will be my second year in a row raising money for 350.org, the best climate organization I know of with a massive international reach, and the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, the best local climate organization, which works in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and also happens to be the place where I used to work, so I know personally how much they deserve the support. In exchange for you helping me reach my goal of $2,400 raised, I will be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. over the course of five days in September. To contribute, simply visit climateride.org and search for my name, Jay, and you'll see the full name, Jay Tomlinson, pop right up. Click the name to see my fundraising page and make a tax-deductible donation. I've already contributed to get the ball rolling. Thanks in advance for your support. I have been saying for some time that the next big bubble is going to burst, although they're reinflating the housing bubble now and, and the stock market bubble is at an all-time high. But uh, that the next big bubble that I think might burst could be the student loan bubble. A trillion dollars in student loans. Something that pretty much never existed in the history of this country. You've got an entire generation that is starting their lives as indentured servants, uh, functionally. Many of them believe they can't afford to get married. Actually, many of them probably can't afford to get married, although I would, I would submit, speaking as somebody who got married at a fairly young age, that, you know, you can work that through. But having children, well, that's a tough one. Although that's some kind, sometimes the uh, unintended consequence of getting married, or even not, but still. But perhaps more important, the major way that the middle class in the United States builds wealth is by owning homes. When my dad died back in 2006, his house had been paid off for nearly a decade. That was his wealth. I mean, it wasn't a lot. I think I think my brother sold that house for around eighty or ninety thousand dollars. But that you know, compared to my dad bought it for thirteen thousand back in the fifties, so pretty good deal. But that you know, that was his wealth. The, that you could build wealth by buying a house when you were young. And my dad bought that house, and it was the second house, by the way, that he owned. The first house that he had owned was considerably smaller. I still remember it. It was when I was much smaller. But he was able to do that because my dad, you know, he joined the army during World War II. It ended by the time he got out of boot camp, so he went off to Japan as part of the occupation forces. But when he came back, he was eligible for the GI Bill, thanks to Franklin Roosevelt and the continuation of that by Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower. And, and so he was able to go to college and even get a stipend. He was paid to go to college. 
And when he dropped out of college, because my mom got pregnant with me, and he went to work in a steel mill, and he was looking for uh, for a house to buy, the the federal government was backstopping homes. The, the you had the the vet, you know as one of the veterans' benefits, they would help you buy a house. And he did. Now, if he had had fifty or a hundred thousand, or even five or ten thousand dollars in student loan debt. He probably wouldn't have been able to come up with a down payment for the house. He might not have been credit worthy for it. But I, you know, I'm using my dad's example. I'd say probably, you know, I don't know the percentage, three quarters, half, some, a large chunk of the quote wealth that Louise and I have is because, you know, we started buying our own houses. Now, of course, the bank owned them for the first three quarters of our married life, but. Over time, equity built and built and built, and we started buying our own houses in our late 20s. And now we own our houses, and that's a good chunk of our wealth. And we were able to do that because neither one of us had student loan debt. So what you basically have is an entire generation of young people who can't even begin the process of building the wealth that would allow them to have a decent retirement or allow them to have a buffer against, you know, some some assets against which they could borrow if they have rough times, if they lose their job, if somebody gets sick. This used to be fundamentally and frankly the core of the middle class. And President Obama said, you know, student loan rate, it's only 3.4%. Let's uh, keep it there. But Republicans in Congress said, no, we're going to let it double. So it's now 6.8%. It doubled. And on top of that, you've got over a trillion dollars in student loan. This is insane. Now, Oregon and New Jersey are trying to do something about it. They're putting, putting into place, you know, legislation, or they're, they're attempting to put into place legislation, where basically you can go to the state schools for, for free to very little. You, you earn, you earn, you accrue. You run up some debt, but you can pay that debt off in a variety of ways if you stay in the state and you're working in particular industries. And, you know, I mean, the laws vary and they're still being negotiated, but why even that? You know, before Ronnie Reagan became governor, California's education was free. Abraham Lincoln took millions of acres of public land and gave it away to establish over 50 land-grant colleges in, ver- in, in virtually all the states where the state had enough land for that college that they could work that land, whether it was a farm or whether it was lumber or whatever it was, and earn enough money from that land that they could offer free tuition to the citizens of their state. And they did. If you want to go back farther than Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson was so proud of the fact that he was the founder of the University of Virginia, America's first free college. That when he designed his tombstone, and he wrote his own, and he designed the, the graphics for his own tombstone, the words that he put on there was that he was the, the author of the Virginia Declaration of Religious Liberties, the author of the Declaration of Independence, and the founder of the University of Virginia. This is a guy who was president of the United States twice, who was secretary of state. None of that stuff was as important as the fact that he started a free college. This is mind-boggling. And I am predicting that at some point, 
this generation of 20-somethings and 30-somethings who have been saddled with this debt as a consequence of 30 years of Reaganomics, Reagan's war. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody knows about Reagan's war on working people, on unions and on, you know, on the, the, the minimum wage and all that kind of thing. Less well-known is Reagan's war on young people. When he became governor of California, the University of California system was free. And he called the young people who were out in the streets demonstrating against the Vietnam War punks. And said, why should, why should I have to pay with my taxes for them to go out and demonstrate my policies? And he began the dismantling of free college education in California as governor and in the United States as president. Those of you in your 20s and 30s and even 40s listening to this program may be hard to believe but back in the 50s and 60s and 70s in the United States, back before the Reagan presidency, if you had the, 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 the brain power to go to college or the brain power and the inclination to go to good trade school, the unions provided uh, apprenticeships and, and trade schools for free, you could get the kind of education you needed. So anyhow, I, I, I find that absolutely mind-boggling. When the two states... Oregon and New Jersey even need to do this. Meanwhile, the Koch brothers are running ads saying, Obamacare is going to take away your choice of doctor. Hey, really? No, it's not in the law. And the Chicago Fed. Remember back in 2013 in Obama's State of the Union, earlier this year in the Obama's State of the Union address, he said, let's raise the minimum wage to $9 an hour, which is a dollar below where it would be if you just inflation adjusted from the 60s, the minimum wage. He said, let's raise it to $9 an hour. The Chicago Fed that says that would increase total household spending $50 billion the next year. Huge stimulus. Republicans aren't going to allow that. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Hillary Tone. On Fox & Friends, Fox Business host Stuart Varney reported on a deal reached by a bipartisan group of senators to avert a short-term hike in the interest rates students pay for federally subsidized loans. During this segment, Varney misleadingly claimed that subsidizing federal student loans costs taxpayers. We've rolled back the recent spike. But to answer your question, we have not solved the underlying problem, which is we're subsidizing all of these loans at great cost to the taxpayer. We have not solved the problem of the very high cost and rising cost of college. And we haven't solved the problem of highly indebted students leaving college with a, a load of debt around their neck. While the rising cost of college and high debt levels for graduates are a serious problem, the fact is, according to the Congressional Budget Office, subsidized student loans do not cost the federal government any money. In fact, just this week, USA Today reported that the May 2013 CBO projection about the federal student loan program showed that the government could expect, quote, a record $50 billion profit on student loans this year. Uh, I think we had talked uh, some time ago about uh, what was happening at Cooper Union. This is a uh, uh, a college, a university in New York, which was set up by Peter Cooper years ago to provide free education 
for college students so that they were not burdened by student loans or the cost of college. They go into professions not driven by the need to make money. And sadly, because the, uh, the Board of Trustees and the administration of Cooper Union wanted to be a, an internationally recognized university, they decided that they needed to sell off property, that they needed to build a, a, a big endowment so that they could have prestige and that they would have to charge students $20,000 a year to attend. Well, after 65 days, a dozen or so guest lecturers, I mean, excuse me, a, after 65 days, 50 students, give or take, who had occupied the office of the president, Jamshed Barucha, in, uh, and they had started in early May, um, have now won their battle in exchange for an invitation for all sorts of people, uh, but particularly students, to get on a search for a different means in which to fund the school. It's a big victory for these students. Uh, they camped out for, for 65 days, and their perseverance uh, was rewarded. They're going to have an opportunity to force the university the college, I guess, to, to find a different way of funding it and hopefully return the, uh, the institution to its roots. We need more of this. We need more. Uh, Cooper Union can be an example for the rest of the country as to why we need free higher education. I wasn't born in the ghetto, wasn't raised in the hood. I went to college to what they said that I should. A self-sustaining member of current society and this economy. There's limited opportunities for growth and hindsight. I'm now thinking, looking for the meaning, searching for a reason. I'm a lucky one, they say, because I'm steadily paid. But luck has nothing to do with the sand. We're the same, you and I. We in the same boat. We get the same boat, hung by the same rope. Listen for a minute, I promise that you will get it. The focus is augmented on purpose to sway you different. We're so programmed to follow the program. We hardly ask questions, but today I am. Higher education is feeling kind of wasted. It's feeling kind of vacant. It's feeling kind of tainted. We have a new deal. A bipartisan group of senators struck a deal late yesterday on student loans. Now, you know that they were set to double, and they were going to be a disastrously high 6.8. Uh, percent. Well, don't worry. Uh, they've got a deal where in the beginning uh, they will be a little lower. Oh, that sounds really good, right? So you're wondering where is this coming? Well, soon. Don't worry. They've now pegged the, your rates to the yield on the 10-year Treasury note, which again, temporarily is a good thing, but soon could be a very, very bad thing when interest rates go up. And in fact, uh, the it's a 1.8 percentage point above the government's cost to borrow for 10 years for students. If you're a graduate student, it's 3.8% higher. And if you're a parent, it's 4.5% higher. And as interest rates go up, so do your interest rates. So it's a possible disaster going all the way up to above 8 percentage points for students which would be so much higher than what they're paying. Now they're paying about 3.4%. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it certainly could happen. 
Now, it's not like the government is hurting for money uh, in this program. In fact, they're set to break a record in this fiscal year. They're going to make $51 billion off of student loans. That's more than the most profitable company in the world, ExxonMobil, made. So the government's making a killing off these students. And basically what the Republicans said is, we want more. So, and understand that over the last five fiscal years, forget projections, what this actually happened, we got $120 billion from those same students for those loans, right? So we're not hurting here. And if we wanted to, could we give them a break? Of course. In fact, Elizabeth Warren suggested that we do likewise, that we, that we say, hey, you know what? They should get the same rates, students should, as the banks do. It's almost impossible to argue against that. It was, of course, laughed out of Congress. She's saying, look, if the banks are allowed to borrow at this rate from the U.S. government, and they get this enormous special advantage, why shouldn't we do that for our own students, for our future? <laughs> you think that those students actually fund us? Now, what's interesting, of course, is that they literally do fund the government with all this money that they put into the government. But that's not what the politicians are talking about. They're talking about their campaigns. Students don't give to their campaigns. The banks give to their campaigns. Earlier in the week, there was a bill to uh, lower the rate for students and have it be fixed, right, so that you don't get screwed later on, the rate being fixed, uh, in the House. And in order to pay for that, they were going to take a little bit more from the wealthiest Americans. The Republicans were like, oh, that's a good one. Like we would help average Americans who are trying to get rich themselves and live the American dream and get an education and get opportunity instead of helping the guys who already have all the money. <laughs> You're being ridiculous. So, of course, the House rejected that. And the Democratic position was variable rates are a bad idea because they explode on students. Guess who won? With a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, of course, the Republicans got their way again. Joy! Wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm glad uh, that the Democrats won the election in 2012. See that coming That was a great surprise I didn't see that coming Couldn't believe my eyes Only glory knows How the rest of the story goes I didn't see that coming Coming into my life well, finally, hard right congressional leaders and the Obama White House have agreed that interest rates on student loans should not double to nearly 7% as they let happen early in July. Instead, college students will be billed at a rate that will steadily rise to above 8%. This is progress? Well, yes, in that this year's rate would drop to 3.8%. But for the longer run, obviously not. Even capping the interest rate at eight and a quarter percent, as the White House demanded, is too high, for it still saddles students with a crushing debt of some twenty to forty thousand dollars for a four-year degree, just as they're getting started on their economic path. But worse, lawmakers are playing small ball, avoiding the big issue. Bickering over percentages shrivels the public debate to its most picayune and meanest point. 
which our so-called leaders seem to specialize in these days. They focus on the price of everything without grasping the value of anything, and the value of a college education not only to America's youth but most significantly to our whole society's economic and democratic future is clearly established. So the big question we should be asking is this: Why isn't higher education free? As Les Leopold of the Labor Institute notes in a July 2nd alternate piece, for over 150 years our nation has recognized that tuition-free primary and secondary schools were absolutely vital to the growth and functioning of our Commonwealth. Today, open access to a college degree or other advanced training is as vital to America as a high school diploma has been in our past. This is Jim Hightower saying, "Forget interest rates. Our young people should not be blocked by a massive debt load from getting the education that they need, but also that all of America needs them to have for our mutual prosperity and democratic strength." I would go beyond that. I think that we need to have a, a a jubilee, a forgiveness of all student loan debt in the United States. We should say that was a mistake. We shouldn't never have made. We've got a trillion dollars worth of student loan debt. A trillion dollars is an amount of money that the federal government can come up with and can come up with fairly easily. I mean, George Bush came up with a trillion and a half, two trillion dollars for his war in Iraq. Came up with another couple trillion dollars. It's going to be three or four by the time we're done for his war in Afghanistan. And, and I mean, you know, let's come up with $1 trillion, pay off all the student debt, and say, you know, investing in our students is no different than investing in our roads or hospitals or schools or anything else. It is, it is the educational infrastructure. It is our future, quite literally. And, and from now on, education, you know, post-secondary education is going to be completely free in the United States. We could negotiate perhaps some little give back, like, you know, if you're going to go to medical school, Maybe you you serve underserved areas or something like that in exchange for free tuition. Or if you're going to get a full four year college education, then you know give a year back to your country in the form of uh, working in nonprofits or joining the military for a year. But wh- whatever, however we do it, that that we should just end this whole idea that people should have to pay money to go to school. It's crazy. It's 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 uh, so. Andrew, thank you for the call. I, but like I say, I would I would go even a step further. I would I would declare all the student debt null and void, and 
I mean, this was Abe Lincoln's idea. This was Thomas Jefferson's idea. Thomas Jefferson started the University of Virginia as the first free college in America. Anybody could attend, regardless of their income. And, and Abe Lincoln, you know, the, the land-grant colleges give away hundreds of thousands, maybe hundreds of, maybe millions. I, I You know, it had to be millions because there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of these land-grant colleges across the United States. There's more colleges than there are states. And uh, he gave them a large enough chunk of land that they could work the land and use the land to make the money to run the college so that they could give away educations for free. This is Gary from Wilson, Colorado. So um, I've been listening to the podcast for quite a while now. And this latest version I was listening to, a lot of comments about the trip on Martin case. And ultimately, I feel like we can extrapolate a lot from my personal experience with it. Um, and that is not that I am a person of color or that I feel that stand your ground laws need to be repealed um, because I don't think that that actually addresses what the uh, bigger issue is and the bigger issue is is that do you want people to be convicted sentenced for murder wrongly or you know correctly and doing it the correct way through due process and all of the stipulations that due process actually requires is much more difficult. And if we follow that, then it becomes a lot harder to convict people in gray areas, such as, you know, George Zimmerman kind of fell under. So ultimately, here's what I realized, is that it's a double-edged sword, and that I would prefer the right person to actually be convicted as opposed to the wrong person, you know, someone who is innocent being convicted and ultimately that means that every now and again you will have a George Zimmerman case where it just gets you know media bombardment and you're forced to handle that and ultimately you know popular opinion is not trial we have to accept the fact that if we want the real murderers to be convicted then we have to accept that every now and again there's going to be someone who everybody is pretty much sure is guilty but isn't necessarily provably guilty and that's my two cents hey jay this is steve from starkton california uh it's my first time calling and I was a little bit troubled by what Wade had to say. Normally, Wade's a pretty good example of conservative thinking. I mean, he's not as far right as most people, but I just had a lot of issues with what he said. I mean, how could he say that Zimmerman shot him because he was getting his head banged on the concrete when he wouldn't even be in that position had he not followed Trayvon? And I mean, and why did he follow Trayvon? It's the race issue. And, and maybe Wade's a great guy. He doesn't see race. So he doesn't see the racial component. But as a black man, I see that racial component. And I know that Zimmerman would not have followed Trayvon Martin if he wasn't black. 
and as far as everyday confrontations, you have to look at, at Zimmerman's character. He was he was the type of person who got into trouble, who went looking for some confrontations and things like that. So to sit here and say that, you know, people get into everyday confrontations, it's, that's just not true. Let's see. I, 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 like I say, uh, as far as being a wuss for walking away from a confrontation, that doesn't make you a wuss. It makes you a sensible person. There's nothing wrong with that. If Zimmerman took his butt whooping and left, then there would be no problem. And I also would like to hear where Wade gets his numbers or stats on live save by Stanford Ground. I mean, he can't just pull nothing out of his butt just because he believes in it. And let's see, he can, I think you mentioned he contributed to the Zimmerman Fund. And it just shows that, maybe it shows that his identification during the whole Trayvon Martin thing, he can identify more with George Zimmerman. Then, and maybe I can identify more with Trayvon Martin. And that's why we, we can't see eye to eye on this issue. <clears throat> because I guess he would never be in that position of being stalked because of his color and being killed. And maybe I can see myself in that position. And maybe he can see himself in that position where he's checking out something suspicious and he has a gun with him to handle any altercation that his fist can't handle. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just seems that way it's coming from a standpoint where the laws are written for him and he, he trusts laws. He can trust the government because they'll work for him. And as a black man, I have no faith in this system being able to do anything for me. And I believe that's why we'll never see eye to eye on those issues because like most people in America, the things they care about are the things that affect them. Anyway, love the show, Jay. Thanks for listening. And I'll keep listening. Hey, Jay, this is Casey from Chicago, Illinois, calling uh, again. I just got done listening to your latest episode, and I, I just got done listening to your little segment at the end, and you had me right up to the very end, right up, literally right up to the very last, like, two minutes of your segment, or last 60 seconds of your segment. And this is now, now that we've migrated away from the Trayvon Martin part of it, now I, I want to touch on this idea of jury nullification. Because you said during your, your comment that, uh, during your segments, that, um, you know, it, in history, in most cases, it's been to get the person who's been accused of an unjust law uh, found innocent or found not guilty. So even though they may have committed the crime, it was an unjust law to begin with, like prohibition or, or, or uh, you would use another example. But in that case, that person was found not guilty and the law was eventually changed and, and society moved forward. But the flip side of that is what I'm having a really difficult time with. And like, as I called in before, I really don't, um, you know, I, I, I'm not fond and I, I don't agree with what George Zimmerman did. And I don't agree with the law and I think it sucks and I think it's, it's crap. Um, but I'm not okay with the idea that a jury can say, well, uh, disregard the law, we're going to find him guilty anyway. I can see how it can work in the other way. The other, the other direction where you say disregard the law, we're not going to find him guilty because you're not putting innocent lives, you know, innocent person's lives, uh, you know, and punishing him and putting him in jail. Uh, but the other way you are, you're saying there's no law that he's guilty of here. And so uh, because of the way the law is written, there's no law that he's really guilty of. So we're going to find him guilty anyway. I don't really see how that would work, um, and, and I don't know if there are instances in history 
where jury nullification has gone the other other way, and and maybe it would help to to open my eyes up a little bit more if I knew some of those instances, and if any of your the the, the fans of the show know them. But I guess what I'm getting at is, if a jury is going to make a decision to say, hey, you know, we're going to make a statement here, I have there seems to, I have a real problem with the jury making a statement if it goes in the opposite direction and ends up putting somebody in prison even though they were acting according to the law at the time, which the law is, in its own respect, you know, you can argue this however you want, it's the way we've decided to govern our society. So if the person was acting in accordance with that law and goes to to trial because, uh, for whatever reason, and the jury says, oh, no, 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 that law is not valid anymore, we're going to find them guilty anyway, A, he would definitely have grounds for appeal, uh, and, and who knows where it would go from there. But secondly, I don't really think that's how the system's meant to be. Now, again, I don't know of any particular cases, and you said there might be some out there, so I'd love to know what they are. Um, like I said, you have me right up till that point, and I can see how it would work in the flip side, but not this this end of it. So anyway, thanks for the work you do. Looking forward to your next segment. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or an activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So today I just want to give a quick update on the Climate Ride fundraiser that I'm doing. This is the second year in a row that I'll be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. It's going to happen in the uh, end of September. And I've pledged to raise $2,400 towards that fundraiser. And so I've been asking you guys to help out. And so I wanted to thank Eric Schofield, Mark Danielson, Gretchen Garnett, Karen Ball, and Jeffrey Draper, who have all already donated and gotten my uh, my fundraising up to uh, 27% of my goal, actually. So only need $1,750 more to reach that $2,400 mark. If you want to help, go to climateride.org and just simply search for my name, Jay. I think there are only a couple people named Jay on the list. I'm Jay Tomlinson. And all of those funds uh, donated help promote the ride and uh, and then support the, the actions of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network and 350.org, two fantastic climate organizations who I personally endorse and support regularly. So if you're at all interested, please make the donation under my name at climateride.org, and I'll be thanking all of the donors on the show because that just seems right. And then I'll tell you all about the ride after it happens, all the trials and tribulations last year. It was uh, grueling and you know amazing. So I, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know all how it went. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks everyone for listening. Of course, thanks for those who support the show directly by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That's absolutely how the program itself survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com and it's a crying shame how we get so trained we can't see past all the sad stories and wonder why we're missing we can't see past all the sad stories and for
Christmas food. 